been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. I got nothing to say, but wow. Little sneak peek into the into eternity. God just pulled back the veil and just gave us just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like when we all get home. Amen. Amen. Who can tell me the name of this plant? Hey, girl. It's like you knew I was going to say it. It's a Venus flytrap. It's a carnivorous plant native to the wetlands of the East Coast and North and South Carolina. The wetlands there. It leaves, uh, its leaves contain tiny little hairs that are called trigger hairs, and that alerts the plant of insects or bugs. Now, if after the first hair is stimulated, within 20 seconds of that, if a second hair is stimulated, the leaves of that plant snap shut and trap the prey. But here's the bonus question for you. Since we know that spiders are not insects because they have six legs and three body segments. To which family would the spiders belong to? Arachnids. Man, arachnids, yes. I can't get anything over you guys. Because they have two body segments and eight legs. And part of that family, of course, would be mites, ticks, and of course, the ever-feared scorpion. Turns out that insects and arachnids aren't the only species to become trapped. Turns out that humans are trapped each and every day, largely by the fear of what's to come. You see, God wants to birth something new in us, right? Something in our, in our families, in our church family. And sadly, so many of us allow ourselves to be trapped by yesterday, and we don't step into, and we miss out on the greater blessing that comes only in the season, the new season that God has for us. Here's your big idea. Stepping in, into what is requires stepping out of what was. Say that with me. Stepping into what is requires stepping out of what was. Now, I'm not suggesting you abandon you know, your valuable life lessons Right? We, don't value, we don't abandon uh, the wisdom that we have learned from our past. What I am suggesting is that there are blessings that are seasonal, blessings that are meant for a season in our life. There are assignments that have an expiration date on them. And for many of us, there's hurts that we have allowed to define us. And God's trying to take us into the new season, but we're stuck in the old because we want to be defined or we allow ourselves to be defined by that past hurt. God says there's a new season that awaits, man. But if we, we, we can't get there. We won't get there if we hold tightly 
to what was. Today we're kicking off the Galatians series. And we're going to look at a church. We're going to see this truth, man. Uh, we're going to look at a church that was stuck in the past. And yeah, that, that graphic is supposed to look like it was from the 70s. Okay? 80s? Okay, 80s. <laughs> the point is, it's antiquated. It's old, right? It looks like something from the past. And that's the idea because the church in Galatia was stuck in the past. And if we're honest, there's some of us today that would say we're stuck in the past. Around 47 AD, Paul embarks on his first missionary uh, journey to Asia Minor and plants churches in southern Galatia, which would be modern-day Turkey. Soon, the Galatian church is stuck in the past. They're being influenced by what Paul calls in Galatians 2.4, false believers. What they were is they were Judaizers. These were Jewish people, Jewish legalists, church legalists who felt like the Gentiles. And by the way, Gentiles are, would be anybody that's not a Jew. They felt like the Gentiles needed to adopt the Jewish customs and practices to be saved, namely the practice of circumcision. And it turns out in their minds that the cross wasn't enough, that just simply believing in Christ wouldn't suffice. And so let me back up and give you a little context. So early on, God gave, if you read Exodus and Leviticus, God gave the Mosaic law. Now the Mosaic law is made up of three parts, the 10 commandments, the ordinances, and a worship system. He gave the, the uh, Mosaic law to a specific people, that being the nation of Israel, the Jews. He gave it the law for a specific time, that up until the time of Christ. And he gave the law for a specific purpose. What's the purpose? To show all of us as well as them that it is impossible to keep the law, to fully keep the law. It's impossible. And so Christ comes, he says, I'm here to fulfill the law. And so by us believing in Christ, we thereby fulfilled the law. Paul catches wind of the drama that's going on in the Galatians church, and he uses this letter to fight, to fight, to, to fight for the freedom that Christ died for. And I love what Elmer Davis said. He, he wrote, this will remain the land of the free only so long as it is the home of the brave. We have brave men and women who serve in our military. They know what it means to, to fight for freedom. In the same way, we have to fight to be the church God's called us to be. There's a fight that, that, that was needed in the church of Galatia to, so that they would live in the freedom of the cross and not live in yesterday. Now, I... I I want to point out in chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, where we're going to be today, Paul is using a personal rebuke of his friend Peter. Turns out Peter was struggling with the very same thing as the church in Galatia. So this is a kind of a parallel to, uh, to show the church in Galatia what they need to fight for. And, and, and I don't want to confuse you, so I have to point out that this guy named Simon, Jesus gave him a nickname. And there is a cricket in here, and I'm going to kill that cricket. Okay? I'm going to find him afterwards, and I'm going to, I'm going to end his life. <laughs> I thought you were about love. We are for, for people, but for crickets, not so much. So uh, I don't want you to confuse this, this. So Simon, Jesus gave Simon the nickname The Rock, right? Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? He gave him The Rock, and, and, and the, the Aramaic version of The Rock is, is Kephos. So Kephos, and the, and the Greek equivalent is Peter, Petros is Peter. So Peter, Kephas, and uh, Simon, they're all the same guy. I just want you to make sure you understand this so we don't get confused. Verse 11, 
When Cephas, known as Peter, came to Antioch, I, meaning Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, and James was the church leader there in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he, meaning Peter, be began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, the circumcision group would be the Jewish people or those who converted to Judaism. The other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But, amen is right, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes promote sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, listen to this, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Whew. Lord, thank you that you did not die for nothing, but it's through your blood, through your sacrifice that we are made righteous, that we are cleansed that we are saved, that we are set free. You did that for us, and we are grateful. God, help us live in the freedom that you died to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes today, write this down, this first truth. Our past can compromise our future. And so often we allow that to happen. What's going on in verses 11 through 13? I'll tell you what's going on. A spiritual relapse by our friend Peter. Peter's hanging out in Antioch. Everything's fine. He's hanging with the Gentiles. All's good. And then James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, sends some buddies, some staunch Jews, right? Some people who are Orthodox Jews. And they come and they say, whoa, 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 Peter, what's up, man? You're one of us. You know, you, you can't, be, can't be hanging with the uncircumcised crowd. Now, modern day, you can fill that in. What, what is the uncircumcised people? I don't know. Homosexuals drug users, people coming to church and maybe haven't showered. Maybe it's the homeless. I don't know. Fill in the blank. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's different for each one of us. But, but all of a sudden, Peter, who was over this, or so we thought, succumbed to their pressure. And a, the first century click was born. You know, this is his first letter he wrote. It's Paul's first letter. And what's he dealing with? The same thing churches deal with 2,000 years later. Pushing some people aside, developing a clique. Pushing other people aside, oh, you're welcome. Oh, I like you, right? No, that, that's the same exact thing 
that was going on. It's the same thing we deal with today. And, and we think, we thought that, 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 that Peter was past his past, right? Uh, Acts chapter 11, remember? This, he was in Joppa and he fell into a trance and God showed him for the, 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 the sheet was lowered from heaven and he declared all things clean, Jews and Gentiles, they're both clean. He's like, okay, got it. Then Acts 15, he was at the council in Jerusalem. What happened? He said, I'm over it. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. I'm good. He was good until he wasn't good. He was past his past until he wasn't past his past. I wonder if some of us can relate. We think we're past our past until it rears its ugly head. What's going on? You see, we see through the lens of our past. We all do it. Each one of us see through the lens of our past. Don't get your phones out. I don't need this on social media. That's okay. I couldn't kill us. You know why? Because I ain't trying to be like every other church. Listen, I, I, I want to be the church that God wants us to be. And if it means wearing these glasses, so you remember a point, I'm going to wear these glasses and look like a moron. <laughs> because we all do it. Amen. We all do it, right? We, we, we all look through our lens of the past. For some of us, it's, we project that onto our spouse because of someone who hurt us in the past. Maybe it's a, a father wound. Or maybe it's uh, our ex, the way they did us wrong, right? And so what we do is we look at our spouse differently through the lens of our past. For some of us, it's a friend. We, we want to have a relationship with a friend, but we can't, we can't really open up like a flower and really blossom into that relationship because we got burned by a friend in the past. For some of us, it's our kids, right? Maybe we had a jacked up childhood and we want to give our kids what we didn't have, right? Because our past wasn't so good. And what we end up doing is we end up giving them everything and end up raising entitled little brats. Amen. amen. I just wonder if anyone's going to say amen on that. We do it to our church and our church pastor. Are you going to hurt me like the last guy did? Right? We do it in the, with, with tradition, right? We, we, we saw church, uh, uh, you know, one way growing up, and we think, well, I saw people come to Christ that way, and surely that's the way it's got to be. Well, does it have to be that way? And stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> My wife and I, we went to, uh, about two years ago, we were kind of, in a season of transition, looking to see what God had next. And we went to a, a church, interviewing a church in, um, in Columbia, Missouri, Right? And this was a really unique church. Uh, they, they didn't like to present the gospel. They weren't allowed to like, give an invitation. You, they, they, they had communion after the service because they didn't want to be like imposed on anybody. And they're almost like apologizing for, for, for the gospel, right? And so, you know me, I'm thinking, okay, cool. Well, I made it through this interview process. I'm here to, I'm here to kind of change things, right? God's going to use me as a change agent. So I go in there like a bull in a china shop, and I'm... I, uh, they're like, hey, so they brought me in a second time. The second time was where I spoke. They had a Saturday night service and two Sunday morning services. And they're like, yeah, you know, just, just be real careful. We just want to, you know, don't, 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 you know, don't present the gospel. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, right. And so after the weekend, after those services, God moved in a powerful way. 70, 79 people came to Christ that weekend. And it was a great weekend, great moment. And, not be, and by the way, not because I preached such a great sermon, but simply because... They never ask. 
And no one, they weren't allowed to present the gospel. I'm like, well, if, if, if I'm coming to this church, I'm going to present the gospel. I mean, that, that's like, uh, you know, it's like a, having a wedding and, and forgetting to say the vows, you know. And so I present the gospel, great weekend, and, and they had a little luncheon that Sunday, you know, after the second service. And I walk in there and it's like, what, what just happened? What's going on? What do you think happened? Huh? Huh? They were, they were looking like, well, here, I'll just tell you what they said. They said, yeah, that's awesome, you know, that people came to Christ, but they said, that's not the way we do church around here. And my heart just sank. My heart broke. And I thought, that's not the way you do church around here? And I, it's like the Venus flytrap. It's like the leaves, man, just, just shut up on that church. They were stuck in their tradition. They were stuck in, in, in their methodology, in their ideology, in their truncated theology, right? And, and it was limiting what God wanted to do. I dropped the mic and I said, I'm out. And I came and planted a church. But so often, tradition will limit us You know, not all of us grew up with a Bible in our hand. Not all of us grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. Not all of us grew up listening to Caleb. I don't know that, but do you know that some people don't listen to that radio station? It's okay. And so what, what, what do we want? We want the ch this church to be what God wants it to be. That's why we'll, we'll do some, last week we played, you know, name that tune. You can't play name that tune in church. Why can't we? We're serious about our faith. We're serious about loving Christ. And we want to make this environment welcoming. We don't water down the gospel, all right? We're serious about the mission of God, but we want to make this place welcoming for the people of God that he brings in here so that if they didn't grow up in a church, if they didn't have a Christian worldview, they can come up here and say, you know what? They'd know how to love people around here, and, and I can relate to them, and they don't judge me. They welcome me, and they let God do what only God can do. And by the way, I'm on pretty solid ground when I talk about, you know, pushing back with tradition because Jesus pushed back with tradition all the time. Matthew 15. Remember, the Pharisees come to, to Jesus and they're like, um, yeah, we, uh, why are your disciples uh, not washing their hands before they eat? Because we have a tradition that we developed and, you know, we got a little station over here with Purell and some wipes. Appreciate it if you follow our tradition. You know what he said? Y'all praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He says, your teachings, they're men's rules. They're human rules. He says, it's not what goes into the body that defiles a man, but what comes out of his mouth. And basically said, shut y'all mouth. That's what he said. He's pushing back on tradition because tradition can be a good thing, but it can also get in the way. We see it through a lens. We see our past and it comes to haunt us if we're not careful. We've got to realize that we often see things through a lens. And also we have to realize that our fear will take us right back. Our fear takes us right back to our past. It's exactly what happened to Peter. In verse 12, he said he was afraid of the circumcised group. His fear was crippling him and it was chaining him to his past. Remember the story on the Sea of Galilee, Matthew 14? He was doing fine, right? And then he sees the wind. Uh, freaks out. His fear crippled him. Remember in the upper room? 
Jesus, I'm not going to sell you out. No, 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 no. I'm your man. I'm with you, right? Yeah. A few hours later, he sold him out. Fear, 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 fear. It cripples us and it links us to our past. And that's exactly what happened in Galatians 2. He was crippled by his old buddies. He reverted to his past. And here's what I want to point out to you. You got to get this truth. Is that fear is present. Fear will be present in the midst of your new season. Wherever God's taking you, whatever God's doing in your life, whatever newness he's calling you to step into, you can be sure that when you step foot in there, and even before you step foot into it, there will be the presence of fear. Anything great I've ever done in my life, there has been the presence of God and the presence of fear. Not because God wants the fear there, but because of my humanity and your humanity. We live in these fallen bodies. And so the presence of fear will be there. But I, I want to I give you a mind picture of, of what I would call the, the genesis of greatness. God's calling us to, to greatness. He's calling us to step into newness. And here's what it looks like. Go ahead and put that picture up. Right? We're to the end of this, this, this season. And God, God says, I got something new out there. And we're like, oh, man, I'm kind of afraid. And he says, yeah, just jump. Just trust me. Just jump. And you know what? For many of us, that's where the dream dies. Message could be over right there, done. Because many of us, we stay right there on the edge of that cliff and God's t calling us to jump and we're too scared. We're too chicken. And we disguise it as, well, I don't have peace. <laughs> Waiting for the peace of the Lord. I'm gonna be over here praying for the peace of the Lord. Meanwhile, your destiny passes you by. And we disguise it as Christian words like peace. You don't find peace in the absence of fear. You find peace right smack dab in the middle of fear. And God's calling us to jump. And, he, and for 44 years, I'm telling you, I didn't jump. I was chicken. But he calls us to jump. And then we, then we jump. For those of us that jump, we jump. And, and, and this is what happens, right? We're like, oh, dear God, I made a mistake. What was I thinking? I'm not going to make it to the edge, right? And, and some of us, we curse God on the way down. How could you let me in this? How could you let this happen? And here's what happens. We thought we were supposed to go to the other side. We thought we were supposed to get this nice triple lindy and stick the landing. <laughs> I was not a gymnast. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see you do that. No, you wouldn't. See? It's messy. <laughs> it's messy. We're all messy. But we think it's going to be like this nice, beautiful, like poetic jump, you know, right? And we go to the other side and it's like Hollywood cameras or what. And it's not like that, man. It's, it's, it's messy. And God reveals this picture in pieces. In, he's an incremental God. I mean, we want to go all to, we want to fast forward. He's like, no, no. I know you thought I was taking you to the other side, but actually I'm taking you down here and you're going to have to climb your way out of this one because I'm going to teach you something that you otherwise wouldn't have learned had you not had to climb up out of that pit. He loves us enough to let us go down so they can bring us up. But I can promise you, you're going to have fear all along the way. You're going to have fear present. So how do we deal with fear? Number one, when fear whispers, consider the source. Didn't come from God. First or Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear either comes from the, the enemy 
or it comes from our humanity, our own depravity, our own human, human state. It didn't come from God. Number two, when fear whispers, worship. Why? Because God says to fear God. And when we worship God, we direct our fear to the right source. You know your fear is directional. Your fear has a direction. And when we direct it to God and fear God, God, I don't want to miss out on your will. God, I love you. God, I adore you. I respect you. All of a sudden, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace because we're fearing the right thing. We're not so chicken. We're not so afraid anymore. It's not that we fully eradicate the presence of the other fear. It's just that this fear, the fear of God, overwhelms that. And no longer are we gripped and governed by that fear. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 20. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear those who can kill the soul, right? Fear God. And number three, when fear whispers, whisper back. You know, there's some prayers that I pray quietly because I don't want the demonic strongholds, uh, the, you know, the, the, the forces of evil. I, don't, I, don't, I want them to hear it. There's some things that I pray quietly in my mind to God. So just between just God and I. But there are times where you feel the breath of the evil one. You sense the presence of darkness. And it's in those times that I heed the words of, of Solomon, Proverbs 18. There is life in the power of the tongue. And I begin to, to, to speak. Satan, you have no authority over my family. You have no authority over my children. They belong to Jesus. And I am the stewards of those kids. And God will fight. God will defend them. God loves them. They belong to Jesus. You have no place in their life. There are times when we need to speak to the enemy. So when fear whispers, you whisper right back. Second truth I want to point out today from Scripture is uh, that we're loved because of his actions and not ours. Verse 16, I love this verse. Paul writes, when, uh, know, that, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified 1300 years folks 1300 years of rules regulations and sacrifice and rituals and all this stuff they now had to unlearn it's hard that's a lot of miles on those tires they're used to performing for God and God says oh no no I don't need you to perform. I need you to accept this, this, this gift. You know, Julius Caesar, the great Roman leader, said that experience is the best teacher. It's not always true. Turns out that Jesus is the best teacher. And he says that you're loved, Ken. You don't have to be a good photographer, although you are, right? You don't have to be great at what you do or or uh, somehow earn your ticket. <laughs> you don't have to perform your way into heaven. You simply have to receive the free gift 
of grace. And that's hard for us. Grace is a hard thing. Why? Because in this world, we're used to performing. If we do a good job, we're rewarded for it. If we're productive, if we're industrious, if we're efficient, we get something for that in this world. And God says, no, no, I'm doing something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Just receive it. Here it is. It's hard for us. Let me say it this way. Jesus died for our misstep so we could take our next step. Say it again. Jesus died for our misstep so we could take our next step. Some of us, we feel like we got to earn that next step. And so we're stuck right here because we're like, well, I'm not worthy. And until I'm worthy, until I perform for God, until I do this or do that, I'm I'm not going to take the next step. And some of you are paralyzed. And God says, why? You're justified by what I did on the cross. Take that next step. It's the lie of performance that sadly, not only the church of, of Galatia, and, and all throughout the New Testament, but churches today are perpetuating the very same lie. Hey, wake up over here. I need my, I need my bat. Thank you, brother. Good man, thanks. You know what this is? It's a baseball bat, but it's also a weapon of the church. It'll also be the tool which I take that cricket out later. <laughs> Love of God. Not only the air conditioner's not working, but I got a cricket to deal with. This is a tool that sadly, and some of you, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but there are some of us that grew up in churches that used that Bible as a tool to guilt us into something, to strong arm in us. You went on vacation last week. You weren't in church, brother. You were on vacation. Can't be missing church. Notice your tithe dollars were down, Paris. I don't look at the tithe dollars. I have no idea what y'all tithe. Because I don't want to do this. Because I know my depravity and my own humanity. So I don't know what y'all give. See, because I've been a part of the machine of Americanized church where this baseball bat is kind of convenient. It's like pastors have it in their holster. You know? Some of us have double right? I mean, like, we use it as a tool, and it's like, and here's the thing. If you can find that in the Bible, awesome. I'll use it. But I, I read the Bible, and, and, and I'm, I don't see that. In fact, I, I read the Bible, and Jesus is, like, defending the people he loves. He's like, you without sin, cast the first stone. All the baseball bats dropped at once. When he died, he paid the price for us to be free. And it is a lie from the pit of hell that you somehow have to perform, give more, pray more, serve more, do all those things, and then you can earn your next step. No, no. God died for our misstep so we could take our next step, so we could take this, this journey into the newness that he has for us. And here's the thing, you say, well, does that mean we can just sit on our butts thanks to the grace of God? No, we don't sit on our butts. We still do stuff, but we, we take action not to earn his favor, but because we have his favor. When God's done something like that for me, are you kidding me? I'll, I'll, I'll plant a church. 
I'll do whatever you say, God, because once I realized that he loved me and he did that for me and then all my baggage, all the stuff that I did in the past, all the stuff that I'm embarrassed that I would never want to tell you about died at the cross. Are you kidding me? I'll jump off the ledge. Right? Why wouldn't we? He's changed us. He gave everything for us. I'll give everything that I have for him. Last truth I want to point out from verse 20 is that for, for many of us, there's some things that need to die. Some things in our life are meant to die. Verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, friends, the forward progress of the Galatian church was hindered because people refused to die to what was. God wants to take them to a new place, but they were stuck in the past. May that not be our story. You see, some of us today were in need of a funeral. When Christians die, it's a celebration of life. We just had one for our dear friend, Carol. Why was that a celebration of life? Because Carol died long before she died. What do I mean? Colossians 2.10 is what I mean. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Some of us, there's still some stuff that needs to die. To step into the newness that he has for us in this season, we can't step in there when we're, we're chained to the past. What does that death look like? I don't know. It's different for each of us, right? For some, it might be hurt, past hurt you're hanging on to. Maybe you're hanging on to pain from yesterday. Maybe it's bitterness or, or, or unforgiveness for someone. Maybe it's tradition that you need to die to. Or maybe for some of us, we have to die to our legalism or our, our Christian piety that won't let us love certain people because of what they did or because of how they sinned. For some, it's just the fear of the new season. Fear is crippling us. It, it, it's taking us out at the knees. God's saying, jump, but we're not trusting him. That he'll take care of us wherever that jump may lead. For others, we just feel unworthy. We've bought into the lie of performance, justification by works, which is a lie from hell. We're not worthy. None of us are. That's why they call it grace. For some, maybe it's, it's, it's a little more elusive. It, it, it's holding on to yesterday's blessing. And that's a tough one for us Christians because after all, yesterday God did something really good in that last season, right? And we're holding on to it because we like that season. But God says, that was just a chapter of your story and you want to make it your entire novel. You want to make it a book, man. That's just a chapter and I want to do something in a new chapter, but you got to get, let go of the last chapter. Many of us were trapped. We're trapped. 
Verse 13, I skipped over it earlier, but let me read it. Let me finish with this. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was a sharp dude. And sadly, it was the Jews. It was the church planters, the people who knew the most and should have known better that led people astray like Barnabas. And that's why I got to stop and I got to say thank you to the church planters who are with us from the beginning. The old sweat box. There's been some that have left. Like that? There's been some that have left. And it's sad. But I just want to thank you, the people that have stayed the course. Ken and Kathy, thank you. Faithful people. The godly people who have said, you know what? I refuse to let that be my story leading people astray just because there's an imperfection in the church. Yeah, there's imperfections here and there's imperfections wherever you go. But God's calling us to leave a legacy. He's calling us to help this town experience revival, to do something in our city, something that when we're dead and gone, the kids that were on the stage will be leading this thing and we'll have done something worthwhile. Or we can complain and lead people astray pick up our baseball bat and bash. Thank you for those of you that have been KFOS, a rock in this church and have not been detoured. Your folks, he's in the hospital now, tell him I said thanks for being a pillar because that's what it takes. It takes men and women of God who stay the course. We're not deterred by every snare that the enemy puts in our way. I love what Wendell Phillips wrote. He said, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Thank you for being eternally vigilant so that this church doesn't become a church that says, that's not the way we do things around here. May that never be said at the gathering. And if it does, you run for those doors because then it became about us and not about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this church. Everything we do is based on this book. And we don't always do it perfectly. And I'm, I'm gonna miss the mark. But if I do, I'm gonna be missing it, chasing him with everything that I have because I fear him and I fear missing out on what he has for us at the gathering. Freedom comes with a price. What is that price? It's abandoning, stepping out of what was. Because stepping into what is requires stepping out of what was. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for how you're helping us grow. Not, not just numerically, but God, spiritually. You want us to make disciples, God. We're not interested in a whole bunch of people who are a mile wide and an inch deep, God. We don't want to be superficial. We don't want to be phonies. 
We want to be the people you called us to be. So stretch us, develop us, deepen us, God. And sometimes that's painful, God, when we say yes to whatever it is, God. We say yes to the pain. We say yes to the persecution. We, we say yes to the valleys because we don't want to miss out on what you have for us. We're scared to death of missing out on your will and squeaking into heaven by the grace of God. We want more than just to make it to heaven. We want to be disciples. We want to leave a mark in this world. Help us do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus, man, I just want to give you an opportunity. Jesus died on the cross for you because he loved you. He loved us. And he wants to spend eternity with us. And if you haven't made that decision to know him as your Lord, you can make that right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. It's between you and God. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If you want to make that decision, if you want to know that when you die, you're going to live forever with Jesus and spend eternity with him and all the other people who believed with every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, just slip up your hand right now. If you want to pray that prayer, just slip up your hand right now. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Right there. Amen. I see you, brother. Amen. All right, for those of you that have raised your hands, just, just say something like this. Say, speak this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for dying for me. And now, God, I want to live for you. Forgive me for my past. Thank you for seeing the greatness that is within me, the person that I can be through you. I love you, Jesus. I make you my God. From this moment on, my heart beats for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just take a moment to celebrate? Come on. Come on, all heaven's rejoicing. All heaven's rejoicing. No half-stepping around here. Heaven's rejoicing. God is at work in this church family. God is at work in our lives. But as you leave this place, I want you to go out and you fight. Fight for the things that God has for you. Fight for the newness that he's calling you to step into. Don't settle for yesterday. Don't settle for complacency or mediocrity. Step into the newness that he has this very week, whatever that looks like for you. Love you. God bless you. Have a great week.